Podcast Spotlight, the offshoot series of the Economical Rice Podcast designed for podcast fans and brought to you by podcast fans. I'm your host, Danny, and today's special guest is another Singaporean podcaster from the show Listening Room Podcast, Josiah Singh. Josiah, welcome to the show. Yo, thank you for having me, man. So, I've met you, I think, a couple of times now, and you have a pretty interesting uh, background, at least uh, in terms of what, you know, Singaporeans normally do for a living. You do something a little <laughs> bit different, right? Yeah, so, so yeah, could, you can, can, can say that. <laughs> yeah, so could you, uh, could you kind of explain what it is that you do? Um, I'm in the film and media industry. Mm-hmm. So uh, I went to uh, film school uh, right after national service. Yeah. Yeah, um, that, that has been on mine for quite some time already since I was like maybe 16, uh, 15 or 16 in my teenage years. I, mm. I've, I've always, uh, watched a lot of television and a lot of movies uh, when, when I was a young kid. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And of course, you know, like my parents would be like, Hey, go and study, you know, don't stop watching TV, but <laughs> <laughs> you probably end up doing <laughs> just, just that actually. Uh, yeah. But so, uh, but I didn't, I didn't, uh, I, I kind of like screwed up my O's. Mm. Uh, back back in secondary school because mm. you know which teenager want to study right yeah uh, so I, I went to uh, mechanical engineering in mm. Yanpot okay. and I realized that I that's not the life I want I can't like math and physics and all this shit it's not, how, not how long were you into it before you realized that that wasn't for you two months <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and, then, and then you jumped to film school afterwards no, I, I, I lasted through the whole thing because my parents were like, hey, you know, at least since you're in, uh, in, in, in the school studying this diploma, yeah. just shit. And then at least you have something, you know, you have, you have like a, a qualification. All right. Uh, then maybe after national service, you want to pursue your passion or whatever, then just go ahead and do it. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, I left, I was in a production house, uh, previously mm. for about a year. Uh, and then I left, uh, just beginning of August and yeah. I set up a company with a, a partner of mine. Oh, nice. So, yeah, so right now we are doing, uh, we are not a production house. We are more of a concept, uh, creator, if you can call it, or strategist. Okay. And so, so we do like ideation and, uh, coming up with creative concepts and, as, uh, storyboards, you know, all, all, all oh, the stuff. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, we're still affiliated with our, uh, production company. So if ever, like, you need production help, you can always, you know, throw it to them and, yeah, help one, one mm. another with that. Lah. So you're yeah. mainly, you're, ma- you're mainly serving, like, corporate clients, huh? Um, Corporate events, commercials, maybe smaller commercials, not 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 the big TV series. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like uh, brands, they want to make like social uh, videos. Mm. So yes, yeah, so, so we do that as well. Yeah. Oh okay, okay. And yeah. then uh, how how do you find that experience so far? Uh, it's good, man. It's good. Uh, it was uh because I think you know when you go to film school, um, like you know all school is very idealistic, right? You're in a kind of a, like a bubble. Yeah. And everyone, um. Uh, all all the kids in, in like the school, especially film school, you know, we all have big dreams. Yeah. And uh, yeah, and then you like graduate and you go into the world and like, oh shit, it's not easy. <laughs> <laughs> Life is hard. <laughs> you know, uh, it, it's very easy when you're in a classroom like watching um uh, classic films and like, oh dude, I'm gonna make a film and then you graduate and like, ah, yeah. maybe I should get a job. Yeah, first. yeah, yeah. So, yeah, I, I I don't think it's limited to just film school. Like I, I was the same in uh, when I was in finance, uh, when I was studying finance in university as well. It's like it's like I tell you, ninety to ninety five percent of uh, people taking a finance degree, right? They want to graduate and they want to they want to enter into like IB investment banking right away, make like oh, wow. make like what uh, ten fifteen thousand a month right off the bat out of right. university. But literally only like maybe a handful or like twenty of like a graduating batch ever ever get to do that in a year. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, but um, yeah. So you've been doing this, uh, and you've been doing this uh, filmmaking for, or as you say, this storyboarding kind of stuff for quite a while now. Uh, but as I understand, you have your own podcast, right? So yeah, yeah. could you, uh, could you maybe explain uh, what what your podcast is about then? <laughs> um, our when three of us sit down uh, to kind of come up with what should we write about ourselves, um, we decide to just. Uh, Go as simple as possible. Yeah. So, uh, well, Deben, uh, it's, it's a lawyer. Mm-hmm. So, uh, and then Sean is in finance and yeah. I'm a filmmaker. So we just write like, you know, three guys, uh, who, a lawyer, a filmmaker and, yeah, and a finance guy so, talks so, about so, anything. Sounds like the, the start of a joke. 
<laughs> a lawyer, a banker, and a, and a filmmaker go into some guy's room. <laughs> yeah, and then they sit around a bed. And they then sit around a bed, talk about recording it. instruments. Like, what is going on? <laughs> yeah, but but how how did the idea come about? Uh, alcohol. <laughs> yeah. So we were we were we were drinking, and uh, and Sean, when he gets a bit you know tipsy, he yeah. goes on like, very long rants. Yeah. Uh, and it's quite funny as well. And you yeah. start uh, ranting about like shit and like Donald Trump and you know and like everything that you can like rant on. And then like Deepa and I look at each other and like, hmm, should we like record this? <laughs> we might be able to make money one day. <laughs> so well, we haven't made money yet, but one yeah. day. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's it's kind of funny to say that because uh, in the in the last episode you did, yeah. I remember this one segment. Uh, you were talking about plastic straws. Right, yeah. And then you were ratting on about about plastic straws. But this time it wasn't Sean who was the drunk one. <laughs> if we're not wrong, it was you, right? <laughs> yeah, no, like, I, but it's a very personal uh, story though. Like, <laughs> like because I was I I went to uh, KFC, right? Uh, yeah. Just, yeah. One day I feel like being a glutton, so I decided, all right, I'll have K- Kentucky Fried Chicken. Yeah, and so and, and, and you were you were you were somewhat inebriated. Yeah. <laughs> well. Maybe, maybe, <laughs> but it, but it's been a couple of months, at least three to four months since I had KFC. So you know, it's been a while, and you're kind of looking forward to this yeah. meal that you have not had. Yeah. yeah. So yeah. I went to buy, get back to my room, and I realized that there's no straws. <laughs> so and this was after I I was eat, after I finished eating the chicken, so my hands were oily. <laughs> yeah. So I was like, hey, there's no straw, and then I I had to open the lid of the of the cup, of the drink cup. Yeah. And then try to grab it with my oily hands, and it almost spilled. Like I almost spilled the drink on myself. <laughs> Damn it! If only there were straws, this wouldn't have happened. So yeah, so yeah, I was. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because I I found it I found it really hilarious because you know you you guys you three guys just uh, sit around normally you all just talk about like current events kind of topics right, and yeah. then and then this whole this whole plastic straw thing has been really sort of a bubbling up. Uh, especially in places like California and, uh, you know, generally in America uh, with uh, the more sort of liberal areas, you know. But then, you know, suddenly you see brands in Singapore start to do the same thing. Yeah. And then KFC out of the blue announces that, oh, we're just going to stop providing plastic straws. Mm. See, see, but the, the, but, but here's the thing that, um, I'm, I'm sort of frustrated with is that, uh, well, the media likes to show like this side of like, oh, you know, they're such a such a green and a progressive kind of company. They're doing so much for the environment. They're not sort of showing the other side, which is you know who is actually who is actually uh, getting the short end of the stick or the short end of the straw. I should say. <laughs> nice, nice, good one. <laughs> So, on to the uh, first podcast uh, for today, and uh, Josiah here has introduced what WTF with Mark Marin, and the the episode specifically is uh, with Paul Thomas Anderson. So, uh, Josiah, first off, what can you tell us about this uh, podcast? Um, so, I'm a, I'm a huge fan of Paul Thomas Anderson. Uh, mm. He's one of my favorite filmmakers, and I think uh, the one of his earlier films... Um, uh, Boogie, uh, there will be blood. That was the first film that I, I've, I've seen of his. Mm. Uh, was one of the re- main reasons why I actually wanted to go to film school and you know mm. make films in the future and and stuff like that. Mm. So uh, yeah, and um, he's just a very char- charismatic guy, and I just l- love listening to him talk. Yeah. Like um, I can spend like uh, hours just like watching. Uh, uh co- I I think I watch a commentary on There Will Be Blood. <laughs> like, yeah, of him like talking like you know throughout the whole film, it's like wow, this is pretty crazy. Yeah, yeah this is so good. So yeah. yeah, so uh, so in the in the podcast, I think um, he's friends with uh, Mark Maron. Mm. So they're just they're talking about how he grew up uh, in the San Fernando Valley in Studio yeah. City in in Hollywood, and um, his parents are in uh, are actors or working in the film industry as well. Yeah. So he was uh, pushed into the entertainment industry at a very young age yeah uh, yeah. yeah and then he i mean i mean not to take anything away from his talent but i think it, there, there was that privilege there like, for him yeah to, to, so, to sort of, sort of like runs runs in a family kind of thing right yeah yeah definitely. yeah so i was like looking up uh, the podcast right uh wtf with mark Marin, 
And, and, and so, so the app that I normally use to, to find podcasts is this thing called a uh, pocket cast. Mm. And when you subscribe to a particular podcast, it doesn't give you like all the shows. You have to like scroll down and you have to load more and stuff like that. Mm. So when I go to his, this guy's podcast, right? This guy has like freaking like a thousand, uh, like a thousand episodes or, or something <laughs> like that. I, I keep scrolling down and scrolling down and scrolling down. And, and, and his episodes are, uh, and his show titles are just like, uh, episode like like eight hundred and something, and then yeah. the 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 interview is the guest name, right? So <laughs> yeah, okay. so so his show is basically just a one on one interview, right? Yes. Very yeah. very candid, uh, very very open, unedited, unscripted kind of thing. Yep. Right. And then and then this guy, I don't know, man. He has like he releases like one show every like few days, you know. Yeah, it's pretty crazy. Like 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 I was convinced at the start that this guy just does podcasting and he just talks to people for a living. <laughs> he's like he's like a talk show host except he he does it on a podcast format or something. Yeah. Yeah, and and each episode is like so so this episode with Paul Thomas Anderson is like close to two hours. Yeah. Yeah, and and most of his episodes are around that length or so. I, yeah. I I don't know how people can just talk for for that amount of time. Man. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah, I mean, uh, I'm looking at his page right now. He has, he has uh, Jennifer Lawrence, man. Neil yeah. Patrick Harris. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Big He's uh, yeah, yeah. He seems like a pretty well connected guy. Yeah. yeah, I mean, he he works in he has uh he he rubs shoulders with like a, quite a big big names uh, in Hollywood. Mm, so. mm. Yeah. yeah, I suppose that's the case, right? Yeah. yeah, and um, yeah. So then you were saying just now that Paul Thomas Anderson, you found him to be a pretty really really charismatic guy, right? So. And 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 then you also mentioned that your the first film that you watched of him was uh the, of his was uh, there will be blood yeah and that was yeah. also the the first and I should say the only film that I've ever watched by Paul Thomas Anderson right right and then so I was coming into this episode right expecting Paul Thomas because that movie is intense as shit yeah okay and and it's like so so I was expecting this like broody sort of egoistic kind of character uh yeah. that that Paul Thomas Anderson. Uh, was like, mm-hmm. but he ends up like just the most chill guy. <laughs> the opposite, right? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Just the opposite of what you expect someone like that to be. Yeah, he just seems like a guy that you could just like crack open a beer with and just like shoot the shit for like I don't know the the entire night or something like that. Yeah, man. Yeah. I mean, yeah. Yeah. I'll which, do that with him, <laughs> yeah. Which 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 I guess he he sort of does with uh, uh Mark Maron uh. Mm. Yeah. 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 So. I believe you mentioned to me that Paul Thomas Anderson was your favorite filmmaker, right? Yeah, and and also because he did, uh, he shot Magnolia, mm. um, which is a three-hour ensemble film with like over nine or ten different actors, mm. with uh, people like Julian Moore, uh, Philip Seymour Hoffman, Tom Cruise, uh, and many others. Like in yeah, so it was a three-hour film, and he did it at the age of twenty-nine. So I'm twenty-nine. This year. I'm doing that this year, and he, he, yeah. So, so are are you making a magnolia right now? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, man. You just watch the opening on magnolia, the first twenty minutes, and it's like, wow. How do you even the 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 technique and the the knowledge of of filmmaking? Like this guy is up there. So then, how how would you how would you characteristically describe his sort of style? Um, many people consider him a, a cineast. If mm-hmm. I pronounce that correctly, yeah. So yeah. someone who has a very deep knowledge of filmmaking and films. Mm. So like a lot of his uh, shots and uh, he's paying homages to uh, to like other films in the past mm. or like his favorite films or that, that he that he takes inspiration from. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and something like what uh, Tarantino. Tarantino is more like in your face kind of thing. Like you know his films are you can tell that uh, you know this this is like a reference to like a nineteen sixty uh, Italian yeah. classic film. You know? Yeah. Like uh, this this film's like a 1960 Western film that he's that he's uh referencing from. Yeah. But um, I I I lean more towards uh Paul Thomas Anderson mainly because of like the story, you know, the character that he created. Mm. So I mean, other than all the 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 spectacle and the the fluff, you know, of of filmmaking, I guess you can call yeah. it. Yeah. But it's, it comes down to like the characters and the story, and I think that's what really like hit me. Yeah. And so and so is Magnolia your favorite film by him? Uh. The Master would be my favorite film. Mm. I managed to watch it on 70 mil when I was studying in London. Mm. So they're screening in 70 mil on projector. Mm. So I managed to watch it in, in the theater and I was like, wow, this is insane. Mm. And, yeah. and so, so what's that one about? 
Um, that one was um, so it's a story. Basically, it's about Scientology, but it's not okay. directly about Scientology. But um, Philip Seymour Hoffman plays uh, Lancaster Dot, not Dodd. Tom Cruise. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So uh, yeah, he got to some argument with Tom Cruise, but that one is like privately. He didn't really mention what happened. Right. So uh, Philip Seymour Hoffman plays the the leader of this cult, if you can call it. Yeah, yeah. And uh, and then uh, uh, Walking Phoenix plays like this. Uh, this guy that he takes him under the wing to kind of mm-hmm. like, you know, uh, uh, coach him to become the next like leader of this group of people and yeah, and then it's a story about like friendship and and uh, religion, I guess in a way, yeah. Yeah, and um, you know, when we're talking about all these uh, all, all his films and stuff, right? I think what what's great when you to to bring it back to the podcast, right? Especially with uh, Mark Maron, mm-hmm. is that you can tell that he's such a huge fan. Yeah. Like like I I guess I guess maybe they're friends and stuff, but you know, throughout the episode, right? He's constantly like like pressing uh Paul Thomas Anderson on like, oh, you know what, you know what was the inspiration behind this movie? You know what's the what what was the mot- motivation behind this scene and that scene and stuff like that? Mm. Yeah. yeah. And and you can just you, you just can't fake that lah. Like it was like genuinely, mm. he was like a he was like a big fan about uh, of his shows. I remember him saying about Magnolia, right? Mark Maron. <clears throat> Mark Maron was saying that mm-hmm. when he first watched Magnolia, and I remember having this feeling about that movie. Like I've had struggles with your movies before, where I've had to sort of like repeatedly go see them. Because I, I, you know, I felt like I, I'd walk out of your movie sometimes. And I'm like, what does that guy want? What does he want from me? Now I got to go see that again. <laughs> right you know yeah. like all right this is the fifth time <laughs> i'm going in to see this movie i gotta turn something off to let something in here right so is what, that, is that, do you take that as an insult no well no i think i think what ma- what it makes me think is of, of times where i've felt that way with filmmakers i think fuck this i'm not coming back you know or <laughs> which is probably how i'd feel about my movies if i saw them i'm not going back to this no but i have to go back but, i have to go back because they demand it you make movies that you know even if they bother you at first it's a lot to reckon with right and you know in magnolia at that time you loaded that thing up Five to seven times, <laughs> five or seven times, because you couldn't get it. You could, because you just can't take everything, yeah. soak everything in the first time round. Yeah. <laughs> um, I think that his most accessible film would be uh, Punch Drunk Love. That's a, a ninety-minute yeah. uh, rom-com, basically. So that's his most accessible film. Yeah. And I think one of the best performances from Adam Sandler. Yeah, there was this <laughs> hilarious moment yeah. with uh, Mark Maron in that episode. Well, he was talking about this. So he was so so they, he he was going on this segment where he's like asking um Paul Thomas Anderson like like uh, sequentially what his movies were about. So he just got done with Magnolia, mm. which was uh as as Paul Thomas Anderson revealed, the motivation was actually the death of his father. Yeah. And yeah. then um it was all very serious and uh you know very deep and meaningful, and <laughs> and then mm. he moves on to the next one, to Punch Drunk Love. Punch Drunk Love. What, all right, what what was that movie about? Love, baby, love. Yeah, that was a love story. Yeah, but like for me, like that movie, that was one of those ones where I walked out. And I'm like, what the fuck? <laughs> what is he doing? So, <laughs> uh huh. Yeah, I can see that reaction for sure. You know, after Magnolia, I'm like, what 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 happened? What happened? Go from Robert Altman <laughs> to Truffaut. What is that movie? Because he's like. <laughs> You just create like this three-hour masterpiece, and then you move on to this rom-com, which is like in like a totally different flavor. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. I don't know, but but regarding that movie, right? Uh, Punch Drunk Love. He made, I think, a, a pretty interesting point, um, which I never thought of when he was uh, looking for Adam Sandler and uh, as 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 to be what to be his actor in in that movie, right? Sandler actually came to him and said, mm-hmm. you know, oh, I've seen your recent films, you know, do you want me to act like this sort of way, like this intense, brooding character? But then Paul Thomas and his side is like, no, mm-hmm. no, I, I, I specifically look for you because I want you for your characteristics and what you are known for. Yeah, and 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 he sort of mm-hmm. goes on to reveal that, uh, you know, yeah. he he sees like the, the main actor as sort of like the focal point uh, of the movie in in terms of the audience size, and that's why it's it's very important for them to sort of stay in mm. their best character and play to their best strengths. 
Yeah. So yeah. So I'm wondering what 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 you uh, what what your thought was on that. Oh yeah, definitely. Um, I mean, this guy works with Daniel Day Lewis, man. Yeah. I mean, if you can handle being on set with with that monster of an actor, I think you can handle almost anything. Yeah. I mean, Daniel Day Lewis and Philip Seymour Hoffman as well, who are both method actors. Yeah. So. Yeah, and then they stay in character like throughout the whole day of filming, throughout the whole shoot actually. Mm. So I mean, you need to have you can lead like actors on the journey. You need to know where exactly to bring them to. And I think uh, for and for him, he only uh, makes films, uh, directs films that he writes. Mm. So he's a writer and director. He's a yeah. He doesn't doesn't direct anything that he doesn't uh, ha- hasn't written. Mm. So so I. Yeah, I think one of the main reasons is because he needs to really get down to the like the bones or, and the soul of what the character is in order to beat the actor on the journey. As yeah, well. it's not you're not, not doing justice to the story. Right? Yeah, is it is it is it very uncommon for like the the director to be the writer at the same time? Um, there's a there's a there's a few people that that do that. Um, I mean the names that the big names in in Hollywood who are making films like uh uh like Tarantino and. Uh, mm. Scorsese doesn't really. He writes some, but he doesn't write all of them. Mm. Like he works with a few very close collaborators, mm. especially in the early years, like with Paul Schrader. Yeah, uh, yeah. Um, who else? Nolan. Nolan writes as well. Mm. Writes his own stuff to, to, together with his brother. Mm. Uh, who else? Uh, Charlie Kaufman as well. No, yeah. Another one of my uh, uh, heroes. Not not really heroes, but like people that I really look up to. You know. Yeah. Yeah. Um. Um. Yeah. He he writes and directs his own. His own film as well. Yeah. So, so I guess that that's uh, and 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 then when you have that sort of a control over the as, as you say the story and how you're gonna portray that story, yeah. You sort of you sort of be able to get a more truer, uh, sense of like the director's vision of like what what they want to portray, right? Yeah, but you, I guess you also run into the problem of being too close to the story that you can't see the whole picture. Mm. Yeah. I mean, and then also is like, it's a feature film, man. Like you spend maybe like what um a year writing, developing mm. your story. Mm. And then, like, oh, okay, good. It's good now. Let's go into uh, pre-production. And then you spend like the next year making the film. Mm. That's two years of your life, man. Mm. You know, and then of course, uh, the pressure will be on you to not make a shit film. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> With like, people pumping like millions of dollars into the, into the movie and you're getting like, what, 60, 70 collaborators with you on set to, to make <laughs> yeah. it happen. Yeah. And then it flops, you know. So. Yeah. That's, uh, that's really intense, man. Yeah. Yeah. So anyway, um, speaking of movies, right? Um, so what, uh, are there any any movies out there that you're looking forward to right now? Um, uh, the the first Singapore film to won to 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 win the Golden Leopard at the uh, Lucano Film Festival. Wait, which uh, film was that? A, a Land Imagine. So it's uh by Chris Yeo. I actually did work with him before, like uh two years ago. Ah. We, we, um, we were working on this. Uh, he was he was the one of the writers. On this uh kid show on, for Octo Channel. Yeah. Yeah. So that was two years, two and a half years ago, and then yeah. now he has a feature film who's, who won the Golden Leopard at uh, Lucano. It's like wow. Oh, wow. Yeah. So uh, I I think it, it'll be coming to I think either Cathay because uh MM two is one of the distributors and pro- uh producers as well for the for the film. Mm. So yeah, they'll probably bring it to to Singapore soon. So is that a Singaporean story or? Singaporean story. Singaporean story. Oh, Singaporean nice. filmmaker. Singaporean story. Yeah. Oh. So. It's it's very it's very um uh it, it brings a tear to my eye lah, you know when, <laughs> when he, he these these are the people that put Singapore on the map you know yeah this, uh, like him uh Chris Yeo yeah debut first feature film for Chris Yeo mm. and then uh Jin Feng with mm. Apprentice and Sandcastles and then uh Ilo Ilo Anthony Chen you know mm. and of course you have like Eric Koo and this uh films in the nineties and early two thousands yeah yeah. So yeah, I mean, these yeah. are these are the people that actually, if you want to watch a film about Singapore, you should watch these films. Yeah. And not Crazy Rich Asians. <laughs> <laughs> wait, wait, wait what, what do you mean? I thought, I thought Crazy yeah. Crazy Rich Asians was, is about Singapore, so what? I know, but I mean, okay. Uh, there, there is a recently there's a backlash, right? There's this yeah. author who who wrote this whole blog thing article yeah. Yeah. on how. Um, uh, crazy rich, uh, crazy rich Asians, uh, ignore mi- minorities in Singapore. Yeah. I think that's the whole, that's the whole gist of the whole article. That's that yeah. everywhere you look is just like, uh, uh, Chinese, Chinese Asian. Yeah. Right? Yeah. yeah. And, um, and she's like, oh, you know, you know, like being of Indian descent, uh, like she doesn't see her represent, like Hollywood doesn't represent like minorities and blah, 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 blah. So yeah. Yeah. <laughs> 
Yeah, and uh, what, 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 what's, what's wrong about that? You don't agree with that or what? Um, I, I, I just, I just think like, like, didn't you know what you sign up for when you, like, <laughs> when you go into the theater to watch a film like Crazy Rich Asians? I mean, do some research, man. This is what you, this is what you get. This is what you pay for, right? It's like, it's like you, you pay like 15 bucks to watch a Michael Bay Transformer episode 5. And then you complain about Wait. explosions. <laughs> yeah, like, why are there so many explosions? Why are women like, clickbait <laughs> showing and like, with short skirt and heels running away in slow motion from explosions in the background? Like, I don't get this. This is sexist. This is misogynistic. Yeah. You know, yeah, why are, yeah. Yeah. Why are there like stereotypical like racial jokes in the film? I mean, just. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. I, I, I mean, like, um, uh, I saw this guy, uh, Kelvin, Kelvin Cheng. I think, uh, he's quite prominent in Singapore. Um, this prominent sort of intellectual guy. Uh, anyway, he, he made this point about all those people, uh, uh, saying, bring, bring up all these, uh, minority representation stuff, minority representation arguments against crazy rich Asians, right? Mm. He was making this point that, um, that I thought was quite, quite, quite true. Is that crazy rich Asians is actually not made for a Singapore market. Exactly. It's actually, it's actually yeah. made for a Western audience. Yes. Yep. So when when all these uh uh blog bloggers or, or whoever come up with their articles talking about minority representation and then they're saying that oh the film prides itself on being diverse, but it only shows Chinese people. Well, in a sense, it is in diverse in the Western sense mm. because you don't in 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 America you don't get films that are just you know ninety percent Asian actors. Yeah. And this true. is sort of like one of the 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 and and this is like a a, a big bigger uh, production film that's mm. sort of leading the way la. Yeah, mm. in that regard, yeah. Yeah, exactly. Like, I, I mean, if they want to target the Asian American target audience in 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 America, right? Mm. Obviously, they go for like. I mean, the Chinese Chinese Americans uh, have a have a massive population in America as compared yeah. to what Malay Americans, Indian American, <laughs> South Indian Americans. Yeah. Like, who are these people? Like, how how are you gonna get? You know, if you want to market, you need to market to the biggest population that's where you get the most money right? yeah and 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 hollywood is all about the money i mean come on let's not kid ourselves right? yeah yeah yeah, yeah. The art, art and filmmaking is second making money is the top is is, is the number one priority yeah. so i mean i my only compliment about the article is that it's probably like well written mm-hmm. <laughs> she writes well i think mean, because she's a poet i guess <laughs> her by her complaining i i my it, she clearly doesn't understand how the film industry works or how mm. hollywood works you know mm. like i mean come on well, what do you expect <laughs> <laughs> from a film like Crazy Rich Asian? It's not going to change the world. It's just to make money. It, yeah, it, it doesn't have like a. There's no. Ma- I guess they have a message. Right? Every film is a message, but it's not going to bring like the next revolution. You know, I mean. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Actually, actually, have you have you seen the movie yourself? Well, th- this film. Yeah, Crazy Rich no, Asians. I'm not going to pay for it. Dude. <laughs> <laughs> I'm saving my money for some good films, man. Like Indian <laughs> Film Archive have some um uh they 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 remastered a couple of classic films. Mm. And uh yeah, I'm 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 that I will pay money for. Alright, so that does it for the uh, first podcast. Let's move on to the second podcast and this one with Sword and Scale episode 50. So this this one I actually cheated a bit because uh, Josiah here was uh, struggling to come up with a second podcast. But, so then I recommended him this one. I just I just want to make a, a, a point about the, the podcast format itself and why I think it's it stands out uh, mm. in terms of like podcasting in, in terms of like as a, as a format itself and, and, and I would love to, to hear your thoughts on this right so yeah yeah yeah. so I, I've listened to a, a number of true crime podcasts and generally the format is uh, uh, pretty straightforward basically what it is is the hosts or the, the narrators they will do a bunch of research on the on the facts of the episode uh, on the facts of like a particular case and then uh, they will they will maybe get their own input or analysis or, or you know what they think happened or what they think could have happened or what right. and, and stuff like that so that is your most basic form it's just the narrator themselves talking mm. and then you get to the next stage which is 
maybe about 70% narrator, 30% is they get interviews or they use like, you know, secondary sources. Maybe this is like, um, uh, uh, you know, you know, online interviews or something like that, but mm. something they didn't do themselves. And then maybe their own interviews with like people who are connected or who know well about the case. Yeah. Right. Yep. Sword and scale. Okay. Their format, I would say is, is the reverse of that. It's like 30% the host, mm. 70% it's like, primary or secondary sources. Yeah, which, correct. Which I think, I, I don't think I've ever seen it done in, in such a, a manner before. Because, mm. because the, the thing about, the thing about this show, right, it's a true crime podcast, but his tagline, right, is basically, uh, that monsters are real or that monsters are everywhere. So off the bat, right, is he's already saying that this shit is going to make you uncomfortable. And listening mm. to it is is uh is not going to be an easy experience, right? You can just expect the most gruesome sort of cases, and uh, the oh, there's this one particular gruesome one. It was about um a uh, an abortion clinic that uh that that escaped health regulators for like 15 years. Wow! And it was what? just the most filthiest conditions. Yeah, I'm 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 not gonna spoil it, and uh and and I'm just gonna link it because it it is pretty gruesome. So. So yeah, so 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 fair warning. Uh, this is not a show for everyone. I mean, if you're if you're bored on a Friday night, just turn it on and listen. <laughs> <laughs> You'll feel way happier after that. You know, slowly <laughs> in the dark listening to this. Brilliant. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So 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 yeah, yeah, exactly. And 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 back to the format, right? So I mentioned that it's like seventy percent like um uh, external sources. It's like primary and secondary sources. So you know. People who are involved with the case, people who are talking about the case. So this episode, episode fifty, mm. this is about the Jonestown massacres. So yeah. were you aware? Were you aware of the Jonestown massacres before going into this episode? Yeah, yeah, I, I was aware of this this guy and uh, the Jonestown massacre. Yeah, mm. yeah. So so the Jonestown massacre is basically in history. It's the largest ever recorded instance of mass suicide. Mm. Nine hundred plus people died in one single day from drinking cyanide. Mixed mm. with uh, mixed with Kool Aid or fruit punch or something like that. Yep. Back in like 1978, 79, something like that. Yeah. yeah. 78. Yeah. Yeah. So so there have been uh, numerous documentaries and articles and books written about this, but this episode, right? In the manner in which he, the the host, uh, her host name is Mike Boudet. The manner in which Boudet brings in all these um, all the audio clips. From the actual, from the actual Jonestown massacre itself. And, and you know, and, and, and you know, his main guest, he, he has a main guest on the show, which he uses as his primary source, mm. which is, uh, this lady named Julia Shears. So she, she wrote a book, uh, on the Jonestown massacre. It's called A Thousand Lives, The Untold Story of Jonestown. So she's the one providing sort of rush-out commentary over this whole story, right? Yeah. And the way he sort of brings everything together is just very visceral. Mm. Yeah. And, I don't know, man. It's, it's, it's really, it really is kind of surreal. Uh. Yeah. Yeah, man. The, when I started listening to you, I was like, wow, just the amount of research that they have to put in for each episode. <laughs> yeah. Like getting the, um, audio tapes. Yeah. And, uh, I, I, and just before this call, I was checking out, uh, another one of their episodes as well. Yeah. Um, episode 34, mm. um, on that, on that, uh, the kitten killer. The guy, Luca McNota. Oh my, there's a kitten killer. <laughs> yeah, so uh, I was, I, I'm like a third through, uh, yeah, through, yeah. And I realized that he, yeah, how, how did they find all these audio tapes? I'm, I'm, I'm really impressed. Yeah. I think that one's like, wow. And, um, yeah, and I think we were, like, we were talking before that and, uh, I, I did mention that, dude, it's absolutely, tr- uh, horrifying that this incident happened and, like, over 900 people died in, like, one day. You know, mm, or, or yeah. not even one day, like in an hour. Yeah. Also, the scare, like, how, I mean, it's quite insane when you think about it. Like, how can someone who just have to say a few words to be able to persuade people to take their yeah. lives? Yeah. You know, and it's not just, it's not just them, it's the kids as well. Mm, yeah. 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 There were like, there were like straight up, like, I don't know, five, ten minutes, uh, mm. especially towards the end. Yeah. It was just audio of like kids crying. And screaming, yeah, and, oh. <laughs> <laughs> and, then, yeah. and then he and then you can hear him saying like, "No, just drink, drink this up. You'll be in a better place. Just, just, yeah. just drink, drink this up, drink this up." Yeah. And I was, wow, what? 
holy shit, this is this is dark, man. And yeah. here I am my dinner. <laughs> um, yeah. yeah, so okay, uh, I mean I, I have to admit, um the first time when you sent me this link, um the first time I listened to this was last night. Mm. So I, I went out I went out for drinks with some mm. friends and then I came home and said, Alright, I better start listening to this, you know, for, yeah. for today's podcast. Yeah. So I was lying in bed you know, after, uh, in the in the dark and then listening to it. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I fell asleep. <laughs> 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 I basically fell asleep to Jim Jones giving a speech, <laughs> <laughs> but I had I had quite a bit of alcohol. Yeah, yeah. Fair but, enough. Fair um, enough. Before I fell, like when I was drifting off the stage, I'm like, dude, this guy is one crazy fucker, man. Yeah, yeah, oh. yeah. Uh, oh, yeah. And uh, and I guess I should say for people who are not familiar with the Jane's uh, the Jonestown case. Um, so you know, remember just now you're talking about the your your favorite your your favorite movie from uh, Paul Thomas Anderson, Master, right? Yep. Yeah. So so the Jonestown case is also a story about a cult. Mm. Yeah, and it's a cult leader started out by this guy called Jim Jim Jones. So mm. then Julia Shears, who is the person who wrote the book and who and who uh, who Mike Boudet is interviewing, right? She goes a little bit into that backstory, and I, th- I thought it was quite interesting that. Actually, his background was that when he was growing up, he didn't have uh, any, any religious experience at all. Mm. That uh, both his parents were actually devoid of faith, and they actually basically were 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 neglecting him most of the time. Yeah. But then he actually grew to love faith because he was he started going to church, mm. and uh, he, it was one of those church with like those uh, African American uh, sort of style, you know, the very sing song uh, sort of uh, congregations. Yeah. You know, and uh, those those very 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 rousing, very lively, very interactive uh, sort of uh, church sessions, uh. mm. and that was sort of where he took his inspiration, and that was where he was sort of uh, aspiring to be in the future. Mm. That he envisioned himself, and especially this was during like the uh, was, um, I would say like the forties, fifties through the sixties. The the backdrop was set in like the civil like like the civil, the, yeah. the the civil rights uh, sort of yes. movement, right? Yep. So he was picturing himself beside the likes of like Martin Luther King or like Malcolm X. Mm. And then he sort of uh, came up with his own like uh, congregational, this uh, speaking style, yeah. which he uses to sort of sway influence over his uh, his followers and stuff. Mm. Yeah. So then, so then initially, right, his project of this, uh, of this Jonestown mm-hmm. is that he wanted to sort of find this uh, socialist utopia, some, something like that. His yeah. his idea was actually very uh, uh social justice leaning. Mm. Is that he wanted equality for all the the races, right? He wanted freedom for from this, uh, you know, in his own view, is like the oppressive society that America was back then. Uh, yeah, uh, yeah. And and strangely enough, like when he first started the the People's Temple, mm, like yeah. there were um uh, a couple of political figures who actually supported him though. Yeah, like like mayor, like the, the mayor or some or the governor. I can't, can't I can't recall. Actually, supported his. His church, yeah, and like uh, African uh, American uh, leaders in their like communities as well, like supported him. I think because his his church was like multiracial as well, right? Yeah, 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 yeah. So, so, so from from the outset, right? At first, he was initially doing this for good, <laughs> and then he has this radical idea to go create this socialist utopia. Basically, yeah. what he did was he found this. Uh, I think it was like three thousand acres or 3,000 square feet meters or, or whatever, a large plot of land in uh, this country called Guyana. Mm. And then he goes and sets up camp there, basically to, to, to build up his idea of a socialist utopia. Yeah. So no companies, no whatever, it's just people working on the farms, living mm. in houses, sort of like paradise on earth in his own view. And and when he starts out, he, he finally manages to get a thousand people there. Yeah. But then... At some point, right, he has this crazy idea. So the social justice part is just one thing. But then he has also this other aspect, which he calls, what was it? Suicidal revolution or something like that? Yes, yes, yes. Yeah, which was, yeah, which was the most eerie thing in the world. Yeah. His idea being that, you know, uh, that he would rather die on his own terms than Mm. die under the hands of the oppressive, uh, system or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. So all the time, right, when he was setting up this paradise, he was also in the back of his mind trying to set up this idea of a suicide revolution. Mm. And then after he has gathered enough people in that sort of a Jonestown, he has about like 900 people, 1,000 people there. Mm. Then he starts preaching 
and he starts telling people about about this uh, suicide revolution. Yeah, but I think when and, when he went to the when he went on about when he started talking about the suicide revolution, I think he yeah. was like he was doing some uh, quite a bit of drugs as well, right? Yes, yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So some of his followers were curious because this guy was like hopping all over the place, right? Going from uh, from one talk to another talk, going to help another community in another community. People were like curious how is this guy actually able to keep up physically, mm. right? And they found out, one of his followers found out by looking through, by, by stumbling across his, like, uh, I think it was like his uh, medicine bag or whatever, that he was actually on speed. Wow. <laughs> like taking oh, speed on, on the regular. <laughs> wow. Yeah. So then, of course, the side effect of that is that you get paranoid, mm-hmm. which I guess played into his uh, sort of idea of suicide revolution. Uh. Yeah. 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 But then, so, so then this podcast episode, right, it goes, it delves into a lot of the, the nitty gritty about how Jim's, uh, Jim Jones as a person came to be mm-hmm. and where, where the, the genesis of his ideas and his motivations came from. Mm. But then the parts where he's actually talking to people, I would say mm. those are the most surreal. The good die young. Sometimes the, the wrong people get healed and often the wrong f***er gets resurrected. <laughs> you know what I'm talking about. But I'm glad, I'm awfully glad, for one thing, that we are not cursed with immortality. Because that would be one goddamn miserable thing if you uh, had to be assured that you could never die when they took you in prison. I don't care for myself, but for you, my babies, my darlings, you're all my children. I love with my soul and my mind, my heart, to the fullest capacity. More pure than anybody will ever love, probably in your time. I'm so glad that there's a point where you die. If they torture you, you go unconscious. That's a form of death. They can put you in shit up and, and drown you in it, but at some point, you go unconscious into sleep and you don't feel it. Yeah. Right? Yeah, yeah. In terms of like, you know, you've already seen from the master how like a filmmaker wants to portray a cult leader, uh, yeah. you know, talking to his followers. Yeah. Now with, with this one, with this episode, you get actual real life audio of like uh, a cult leader in person convincing his followers. And it's, well, it's, it's, it's quite scary. La. <laughs> it's yeah. very chilling. Actually. And I, I think there's yeah. one moment where this lady was like questioning his motives, right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, questioning yeah, yeah. his motives about why you're doing this, and then he was just like pressuring her like over and over again that this is the right way to go. I said I'm afraid to die. I don't By think no you means. are. I don't think you are. But uh, I look at our babies and I think they deserve I, to live. I agree. You know, they des- but also they deserve what's more. They deserve peace. We all came here for peace. And know? we've have we had it? No. I tried to give it to you. I've laid down my life practically. I've practically died every day to give you peace. And you still not had any peace. You look better than I've seen you in a long while. But it's still not the kind of peace that I wanted to give you. So, a person's a fool that continues to say that you're a winner when you're losing. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, yeah. you come out better on the other side of something. You're using a, like, certain like words to, and they keep repeating it over and over again. Yeah, so... so- then towards the the end of the episode, right? So this episode is also another long one. It's about two hours. Mm. But then, like, but then, like the last, I think, forty or fifty minutes, uh, is what uh, Mike Boudet calls the Jonestown death clips, uh, the mm. death tape. Yeah. Because like this is sort of the period when they all drink the the cyanide, mm. and then by the end of that that clip, the audio tape, everyone in that audio is like dead. Yeah, it just goes yeah. silent, right? It just goes silent. Holy yeah. shit! Yeah. So yeah, during that period, at the start, right? It's um. It's already a Jim Jones uh, talking to his followers and then saying, you know, that the time is nigh. We should all we should all drink uh, the cyanide. We should all go by way of uh, this revolutionary suicide or whatever. Yeah, and I think a lot of them were those who uh, didn't want to do it. I think they were being forced as well to, mm. to go to go along with the the whole whole thing. Yeah. Yeah. There was this uh, congressman, right, who who actually came down to Jonestown itself. Uh, mm. This guy named. Congressman Ryan or something. He was from California. Yeah. Mm. yeah. So then, 
uh, uh, family members of the of some of Jim Jones' followers, they started complaining to this uh, congressman, saying, you know, hey, you, you got to help us here. Our kids are, are trapped somewhere there. We can't we can't reach them at all. You know, you yeah. got to go there and get them out, see what's going on, see if they're okay or not. Mm. And then he goes there. Uh, with like a film crew, like a whole production crew and everything. Mm. And then um, the conditions over there, you know, you know, Jim Jones, of course, he, when, when he wants to portray himself to the outside world, he wants to portray it as like this paradise. Yeah. But in reality, it's like, you know, there's really like a shortage of food. The housing is not very good. People are being put, put to work, forced to work and stuff like that. Yeah. So then, so then when this congressman comes down, you know, Jim Jones initially tries to make it seem like everything's okay, you know, mm. making him like a nice dinner and everything. But then after a while, uh, people start talking to him in, in in private, saying that oh, you know, you gotta you gotta get me out of here. Here's what what is actually happening, and stuff like that. And yeah. and 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 shit just starts to to hit the fan from there, mm. Yeah. And and I, I don't know if you remember, there's this one I would say really surreal moment when when Congressman Ryan uh, eventually tried to flee, uh, tried to leave, right? Mm. Uh, so he boarded this helicopter, and then. He and then some of the some of the dissenters or some of the people who wanted to leave, Jim Jones said, "Okay, uh, you can go. You can go with the guy. You can go with the guy." Mm. Right. And then when they were actually in the air already, what actually happened was that one of the dissenters was a loyal follower of Jim Jones. Yeah, he, he, he shot them, right? Yeah. So he had a gun, and then he just shot everyone. Fucking and up. and the whole the whole helicopter, including the congressman, including his. His production crew, you know, like a camera guy, like a film guy. Yeah, they all went down, man. Yeah. But the scary thing is that none of them brought, like, security with them. Yeah. You know, you're, you're, you're flying out of the country to meet a guy who managed to convince 1,000 people to move into a jungle. And and they didn't see any, like, hmm, maybe they might be crazy. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, I guess maybe they they were on the pretense that oh you know it's actually a socialist paradise after all or something like that. It would he, he was going there on like a fact finding mission la. It was not like an excavation kind of thing. Mm. I guess when they realized that uh it's not what it seems, I think it was already too late la. Yeah. So then so then shortly after that right um when that helicopter got shot down, that was when Jim Jones was convinced like okay this is when we need to do it because people are going to start looking for him and mm. we are, our, our whole operation is going to get busted. Yeah. So now is the time to to die by revolutionary suicide, mm. and yeah. <laughs> but there are a lot of things where uh when when he's talking like you don't I don't really understand what he's saying. He's just like rambling on and on. Yeah, yeah, yeah right. Like yeah, it's like what, what what's this man talking about? And I think that's like that 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 is like you seeing you're actually hearing a guy going insane. Yeah. 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 Yeah, I, I I guess some of it might be due to that. Part of it might be due to like the the audio quality also. It's not it's not fantastic audio quality. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I I don't know if it's like Mike Boudet put his like own production to it to make it sound eerie or something. Right. Because because I, I don't know if you remember like the first time the 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 clips from that from that final scene uh, came on, mm. there was like uh, this sort of demonic uh, background voice. When I first got here, like I say I wasn't sure. Everything is a little different than the way I expected. I've never been so much involved in the church before. Mm-hmm. But uh, I assume it's the the quality of the tape that isn't good, and then that's yeah, why, yeah. yeah. So so some people were some people online were saying that um, yeah, it may be due to the audio quality. It might be due to the tape because it's so old, mm. and also because they were using those uh, vinyl recorders at the time. Right. Yeah. Those are, oh, sorry, not vinyl, the cassette recorders, the one mm. with like the, the black tape and everything. Yeah. So then, especially during that final, the final part, when he was recording this, uh, the, the drinking of the cyanide and everything, mm. a lot of people, it was actually not just that one lady who was dissenting. Mm. It was actually a bunch of them, a lot of people who were saying that, oh, no, we shouldn't do this, no, we shouldn't do this. And James Jones was like selectively editing, la. he was like starting and stopping, starting and stopping the tape. Right, which uh, people thought that was what uh, that was the reason why the audio was uh, sort of uh, messed up as it is though. I see, I see. But it does send a add, add to that sort of creepiness and chill sort of factor. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. No, I was, I was reading a couple of articles um, after I finished this, watching the podcast, and apparently that site that um, they 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 died in. Mm. I think the they wanted to turn it into a tourism site, man. <laughs> Yeah, they want they want to build like uh, a like a resort and like restaurants, 
and then set up like a monument like in memory of I mean there, there is that monument there in memory of the, the, the victims of the massacre but they want yeah. to turn it into a, like a tourist like site like yeah. so weird dude yeah 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 oh man that is that, uh, ex- so wrong as well isn't it they'll be extremely ironic man <laughs> Yeah, for 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 a place that was built on the on the idea of of socialism, yeah, to be turned to be used for capitalism, that would be <laughs> yeah, that would be yeah, yeah. Jim Jones is uh wherever wherever in hell it is, he's uh he's rolling in it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so if you're really a fan of like the gruesome details, you really want to hear the worst that humans human beings have to offer. You really want to like lose sleep for a night or something, <laughs> then yeah, sword and skill is for you. <laughs> <laughs> uh, all right. Um, I guess we've gone on long enough. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And so, um, with that brings the uh the end to today's episode. Uh, thanks again, Josiah, for coming on. No and worries, um, thanks for and, having yeah, me. Yeah, yeah. And uh, for those of uh, for those of the listeners who are interested, you know, where can people find you, or maybe some of your work, and where can people listen to your podcast? Um, so we have a Facebook page. You can mm. find us, um, Listening Room Podcast. The search mm. us there. You can like us, drop us a like, comment. Mm. Uh, even throw us, man. Just, 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 just throw us. Just, you know, throw <laughs> all our pages. Um, keep it going. Share it. Uh, even if it's shit, just say like this podcast sucks and just yeah. drop a comment. It's fine. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> we like, yeah, the, the ruder, the more cruel the, the troll is, the more the we better. like it. So, <laughs> yeah. Drop us a like. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And, and, and do you have any like, like film work or, or videos that you have up online? Um, we have our company, uh, website that's, that's up now. Uh, we're still mm-hmm. updating it as we, as we go along because we just started, uh, a couple of weeks ago. Oh, okay. Yeah. So, um, it's Rogue Creative. So mm. R-O-G-U-E. And mm. then a creative, uh, dot work. Mm. Yeah. So that's our website and you can check out some of our works so, up there. Nice. Yeah. Nice. Yeah. All right. And so if you like this episode, um, please do a big favor by sharing it amongst your friends or by subscribing to the Economical Rise podcast on iTunes, SoundCloud, or Stitcher. All the links and details to the shows discussed in this episode will be available in the show notes on the website, www.economicalricepodcast.com. And if you have any questions, suggestions, or feedback for the show, you can drop a message on the social media links below. Once again, this has been your host, Danny, with special guest Josiah at the Podcast Spotlight, the show by podcast fans for podcast fans.